John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today my guest is the infamous Bud Jeffries. Uh, how you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing great. <clears throat> um, so infamous, huh? Did you say infamous? Then? Infamous, infamous. <laughs> I've seen. Listen, I, I have I have seen the uh, the haters on your Instagram. So <laughs> yeah, they yeah, yeah they love to hate me, man. They love. To... <laughs> good, let them hate. Good. Hey, well, the the good the good thing is uh, I think for every every hundred. That, that love you there's there's just one that hates you so <laughs> yeah, that's all right that's, I think that's, that's okay a, with me that's a pretty good ratio i think you got going there <laughs> that's not bad yeah that's not bad uh, at least I, at least it's not the other way around that could be right that could be a problem <laughs> right <laughs> um <clears throat> so uh for anybody out there that maybe doesn't know bud jeffries um why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um how you got started into uh all this crazy strength training stuff you've been doing. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite as crazy at the beginning, but then, you know, you have to, you have to follow me in time back to prior to the internet, prior to cell phones and pagers and all of that crap. And, uh, you know, back in the dark ages when you actually had to read about strength in an actual printed thing and, you know, you had to buy stuff. And if you were going to go to a power meet, you had to pick it out six months in advance out of Powerlifting USA and all of that stuff. So, what happened was, I mean, actually, I was kind of destined to do this, and, and here's why. So, like three separate times in my life, I, I've, I've been either in an accident or in some situation where I just literally shouldn't survive. Uh, doctors said I would never survive as a, as a child being born. Uh, at five years old, I had a car accident that crushed my hip and fractured my skull, and I had to start um, – had to spend months and months in a body cast and couldn't walk and had to start to learn over again. And the first real athletic thing I ever did was taekwondo. And that was because my mom was trying to help me learn to walk again and get back to some semblance of, you know, movement and athleticism and stuff. And, and so this is back, uh, this is 1979. Okay. When, when I got out of the body cast. So, um, it would have, this was super progressive. And back then with, for therapy, they sent you home with a bottle of lotion and said, good luck. <laughs> you know, that what wasn't, that's basically what they did. There was no, especially if you were a kid, they didn't really do anything. You know, oh, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll walk it off. No big deal. You'll rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. That kind of thing. So, um, that really kind of introduced me to athleticism. And my, my dad was a big and strong guy. And I always kind of had these stories and different stuff about that. And, and, um, so I pursued that for a couple of years and then school and different things kind of got in the way and dropped it. But I started playing American football at 13, 14 years old and, um, at a little pro private school that didn't have a gym and they said well go find a place to work out so what happened with that was the guy who was my direct position coach was a power lifter and also a, a back in the usfl days got him fred norgren uh was a nose tackle for the u.s for the Tampa Bay bandits back in the usfl days and kind of encouraged that whole thing or whatever and there was a little powerlifting gym about a mile from my house and I didn't know what powerlifting was or whatever. I just found this little gym, and it was literally right down the street. So I went down there, and about three days later, they kind of drafted me into – they are like, well, you don't – you know, you're young, but I see you're working hard. I don't know what you're doing, so why don't you come work out with us? I'm like, that's fine, cool. So six months later, I'm competing, and I start going from there. And then across that is this evolution over away from traditional powerlifting, which I competed in for about 16 years. And over that course of time, I – 
I played football for five years up to, I spent a year in college playing and then uh, ended up with a broken shoulder and that kind of changed my direction too because that changed how I had to lift and and I also got kind of drafted to do some strongman performance stuff from college from the, the places I was at. I was actually going to a church up there and actually got to perform as a, a prequel to Anthony Clark. If I don't know if you guys know that name or whatever, but Anthony Clark first got a bench press 800 pounds, uh, first got a reverse grip bench press in competition, just monster, monster guy, was billed as a uh, world's strongest man and he uh, was working with a prison ministry, and this guy drafted me to said, well, listen, uh, I know you do some of the same things that this guy does, and why don't you do a little 10-minute promo, and it'll help people get interested. So that's the first time I ever spoke to a crowd or spoke anywhere or did anything. And so, again, had to go to actual paper books and try to desperately find what strongmen did at that time. So I went to a local hardware store and bought some rebar and figured out how to bend it and you know, lifted some stuff and talked for five minutes or about my life and, and then the whole thing. And... Uh, kind of found a calling there. And so then I kept competing in powerlifting and I got on to, and then I just started to branch out into everything. Uh, when Strongman started to revive in the U.S., I competed with that a little bit and, and actually put on the first Strongman contest in Florida where I live. Because again, there was nobody here doing it. And back then they were looking at you like you had two heads if you started flipping tires and lifting rocks. And it was, they thought you were crazy. And from there, progressed on to uh, Highland Games and did some mixed martial arts and different things like that or whatever. And then spent the last few years of my real strongman career performing full-time as an old-time strongman. Did an anti-bullying assembly for, well, for three years. And in three years' time, I did a 1,000 school assemblies in 44 states and uh, really got into that. And then from there, i just gone totally haywire. And now anything and everything you can think of, strength or anything crazy strength-related, and I'll tell you why. There are millions of ways to use the human body. There are thousands of ways to be strong, and I want to experience every one of them, not just basic weightlifting. Wow. And uh, I think basic weightlifting, weightlifting, basic powerlifting is the key to superhuman strength. But after that, you really don't know how strong you are and where you're strong at until you try some other stuff and there's literally just hundreds and thousands of things to try and so you know what why not why not scare your neighbors and get kicked out of planet fitness and whatever else you need to do <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure the neighbors are uh are getting scared sometimes with you uh throwing the axes and, and shooting the blade i think they you know i'm either like they're it's, it's one of two ways they're either like got 911 on speed dial or they're sitting at their window with popcorn like oh what's he gonna do today there's no there's no uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Um, so at some point, um, you made your way up to, uh, West side, correct? Um, you, you went up there, uh, yeah, got, got a chance to visit. I had actually, um, I had actually met Louie in passing at a couple of powerlifting meets back when I was competing. And, um, they were down here for a WPO meet over in, or in Daytona, which is only like an hour, two hours, two hours from my house. And uh, so I'd gone over to watch and, and hung out a little bit, and I competed off and on here and there. I, I, I really, at that time, had gotten away from using equipment and gone to the raw. That was in the very early stages of raw powerlifting. But uh, actually, uh, I've been in contact with a guy who, who works out at Westside, and he also coaches boxing, a guy named Rob Pilger. And actually, Louie had actually reviewed one of my books back before Powerlifting USA, the magazine died. And he had actually said some very nice things about me. And, and uh, we you know, kind of got along. I'd spoken to him on the phone once or twice. And so I happened to be going through Columbus to do some school shows and, and went by and hung out and worked out there and, and um, got a chance to hang out and, and found what I have found in all the high-level guys is, no, is 
the really, really best in the world, no matter how differently seeming our philosophies are, there's more, there's more in common than, than it, and, and most of those guys are so respectful and accepting of the fact that if you worked hard enough to get to a high level of strength, they really don't care what you did or how you did. It. And as long as you're not an absolute nutcase jerk, they're pretty cool with each other. Everybody, you know, hey, dude, it's a, it's a, it's a small level of brethren who hit some of those numbers. And if you get in that area, they, everybody's pretty cool. So yeah, I got to hang out and that was really a very cool thing. Got to set a personal PR there, hanging out with them. And, and uh, it was very cool. Yeah. I think the, uh, the, the video that I've seen from that was, um, uh, a Zercher squad or, a maybe it was yeah. a, a Zercher rack lift or something. It was, uh, I can't remember the weight, but I yeah, know it was huge. I do most of all. I tend to do most of all my lifting from a bottoms up start or from a dead stop start. That tends to be my personal preference. I have a bunch of reasons for that, but that's for that lack of a better way of saying it. And at that point, I had been really specializing in a bottom start zerker. So somewhere in the neighborhood of parallel, probably a little bit of parallel start, above parallel start zerker rack squat or bottom start squat from a rack. And I hit 680 that day, uh, which I was very, very, very happy with. And that was a lifetime PR and uh, uh, pretty. Pretty good, pretty good. and it's pretty cool because I got video and you know, dude. Uh, whether people love or hate Louis, really they shouldn't. Louis actually is a legitimately nice guy. Uh, you know, most of the older guys in powerlifting can be a touch cantankerous every now and then because if you put up with enough stupid questions, you get that way. But uh, super nice guy, and it's awesome because you can hear the whole crew and Louis and them yelling, and it's not, it's nice. That's a, that's a very cool thing, and you know that place is a. Regardless of what you think about strength, that's one of two, three, four, five gyms in the country. That's a, a landmark, man. That's a mecca yeah. for strength. And and what I found out in talking to Louis or whatever, and he basically said this to me. He said, you know, you do uh, our philosophies are, are a little different, and our objectives are very different. But if you if you really look at the, what we're doing, we all end up doing some level of conjugate work. We all end up doing you know max strength, rep work, speed work, all, all congruently somewhere and way or another. Whether you periodize it or not, it's all the same thing. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's very cool. Cool. Um, that's a huge Zercher squat too. That's no, that's no joke. I, there's probably very few people <laughs> that have uh, that have been able to uh, do that. Um, I only, I only know of, I only know of three or four or five people who've been over 600 anywhere near parallel, whether they started at the bottom or top. So uh, that's, I only know of, of a couple. So I, 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 you know, I was pretty happy with that lift. That's yeah. Pretty, so uh, let's delve into the Zercher just a little bit because okay. um, on the uh, the amateur strongman circuit right now, uh, the competitive amateur strongman circuit, um, there's a lot of noise going on about Zerchers and um, there's a, a very loud um, opposition to it. And they say it doesn't have any carryover and that there's no point to do it. But, you know, Louis Simmons... Um, you can find quotes where he says it's it's um, you know one of those hidden strength secrets. And Pavel, um, uh, I'll probably butcher his name, but Pavel Satsalin says um, that's pretty close. That's uh, pretty doggone close. That was pretty good. <laughs> uh, he says it's it's same thing. It's like the the he, I think he I think he's quoted saying it's the best squat. Um, and uh, obviously, you put a lot of time into it. What are what are your thoughts on the Zercher and how does it uh, carry over? I got to tell you, okay, for my money, it has some of the greatest carryover to strongman that there is. Because if you think about most of the stuff you lift in strongman, so what you get is a 
you, I think you get this, this argument, well, you're going to zerk, you should just front squat. Well, you know what? Most of us don't have the flexibility to do a legitimate Olympic front squat. And for my money, the zerker is more position specific to basically everything you're going to do in strongman than a front squat is. Because truthfully, a zerker is a zerker is analogous to um, a front squat is essentially an Olympic squat. Well, a zerker squat is essentially a powerlifting squat held in the front in the front of the body, crook of the arms from from a uh, from a center of gravity standpoint. Mm -hmm. Okay, it is so much simpler than a front squat to do. It, and, and for my money, the carryover is actually better because when you look at what you're actually going to do to come off of your lap with a stone or to come off of your lap with a log or that kind of thing, it's more that than it is. You don't mimic that uh, uh, that really upright position that you get with a front squat. Right. Um, also, I've, they're, they're self-correcting. Okay. You're, you're not going to – if you screw that up, you're – going to drop the bar or you're going to get out of position you're not going to do it's actually one of the easiest ways for amateurs to learn how to legitimately squat because it because it is self-correcting you'll just and it most people don't come out of the bottom with a weight held at the chest but they do come out of the bottom with a weight held in the arms position mm -hmm. which is where you're going to come off the bottom with a stone it's where you're going to come off the bottom with a uh, with a tire all the rest of that stuff I think it's simpler. People talk about it's more painful. To be honest, I don't think it's any more painful than a front squat. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of the crook of the elbows, just depending on how you do it or whatever. I think you got to find your own thing. People talk about, well, it bothers my biceps. It really needs to be sitting in the crook of the arm. You, you, it's, you're going to get a little bit of bicep flexion, but you're going to get that in a front squat too. I, I think it's – honestly, I think it's a better deal. Uh, for me, it hit right in that spot of when I was specializing on them, I really – to lift stones, so that was a big thing. And I, I can tell you this: when I hit that, when I was hitting in the 600 range with that, I could take a stone from my lap to my chest at 400 pounds, a natural stone without even an effort. So, yeah, uh, it, I, I honestly I think it's a smarter, easier. Uh, it sits right for me. It sits right in that halfway point between a, a squat and a deadlift type movement. So, like honestly, when I was doing them, that was basically the only one I would do. Some once in a while, I'd throw in some other squat. Or some other deadlifts, or but a lot of times I was doing zerker lifts and stones, and that covered my leg and back work, and that was it. Uh, it I just think it's better, in my opinion. Um, I think it's simpler. I think it's more direct. Um, I personally like to use the Cambridge bar because I feel like a, 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 a for me past about 500 pounds, a straight bar wants to start to roll and open my arms. A Cambridge bar doesn't. Some people think a Cambridge bar is more painful. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I really don't care if it hurts or not. We, that's you know as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to pursue the really top end pounds, just pain is part of the game. Yeah. You got to restructure your idea on what pain is. Mm. Um, but if, even for uh, even for you know folks who aren't as crazy as I am, I don't. I think it's a way over exaggerated that it's that painful. Um. <clears throat> yeah, I I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think um, you know if if it hurts a little bit, you probably just you just need to make some adjustments and and. You know that's part of, yeah. like you said, the self correction, and um, and I, I believe it has tremendous carryover as well, um, especially with any of even the carrying events. I mean, you you got to get it to that position yeah. before you can carry it. Um, but uh, there is a loud opposition to it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but that's everything, dude. Everything in lifting. People argue over the most minute minutia of all that. Listen, if you pay attention to the people with big legs and strong legs across the planet, you will find they powerlifting squat or they Olympic squat or they front squat or they zerker squat or they box squat or they dead stop squat. And sometimes they go butt to grass and sometimes they go a little below parallel and sometimes they go right to parallel and sometimes they go just above parallel. And guess what? We all end up in the same box. So who gives a crap? They argue over stupid stuff. Go out and train. Right. Spend a lot less time arguing, a lot more time lifting, and you'll figure out which one works for you. <laughs> and there is something to that. There's something to the individuality of, you know, okay, so if – I just think from, for the Zerker specifically, um, this technical simplicity as well as the fact that it is a little lower center of gravity is going to allow you to use the greatest – the greatest leverage and the most muscle with the least possible technical problems. Yeah. Um, I just, I, that's just my, you know, Hey, opinion there. And we're all in the right box. And look, if you, all, if you walk out on, you know, to lift a stone or to on a football field or whatever, nobody's going to ask what kind of barbell squat you do. Yeah. It is what it is. You, we're all playing in the same sandbox. We might as well, you know, that's like saying which, you know, which crayon is best out of the same Crayola box? Is it the red one? Is it the blue one? No, it's the same freaking crayon. It's, uh, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so um, the Zercher squat isn't uh, your most impressive squat. Um, we've seen uh, you've done <laughs> 900 and then later on 1,000 pounds, I believe. Uh, from a dead stop out of the rack. Um, can right. you can you tell us? Uh, obviously, that's that's a hu- that's huge. That's a big, and I'm sure that was a huge goal of yours. Can you tell us about yeah. um, the training process and especially the mental preparation leading into uh, either of those lifts? Okay. Okay. So you got to try to track my whole deal. Okay. So um, first day I walked into the gym. I was 14 years old, and I was a big kid because uh, the car accident I talked about before, man, when I, I was a little skinny kid, then I spent months in a body cast and came out as a little fat kid, and my parents are big anyway, so I was like 240 pounds at, at 14. Now, not lean, obviously, you know, and not that I care or whatever, but the first day I squatted, I in the gym, I squatted. The first day they taught me to powerlifting squat, I did uh, 225, all right? 16 years later, I squatted a thousand pounds, starting from the bottom, uh, at what I consider right in the right in the parallel range. Now, uh, when you're going to do a bottom start squat, you're ne- unless you use an Olympic stance, if you use any kind of a wide stance or powerlifting stance, you're never going to get to a below parallel start and be able to maintain a straight back. It's just not going to happen for 99% of the world. So. Uh, because I use that powerlifting stance, it was right in the parallel range. I'm not going to debate that. I don't care what people think. It is what it is. I, it was deep enough that it made me happy, and that's good enough for me. Um, so about the time I start powerlifting there, and the 15, 16 years old, that's when uh, not long before that, a few of the first 1,000-pound squats came out, and they were having the Budweiser record breakers meets back then. And I saw Fred Hatfield squat a thousand pounds. A buddy of mine had that videotape, which may have been a year or two old. I don't know about the dates about that time, but it's sometime uh, in the eighties. And, uh, I thought, well, and at that time, thousand pound squats, there was only four or five people who had done it. It was the best in the world. And so I'm like, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. I'm 
gifted at squats. I like squats. Uh, and they had taught me that, you know, squats are the cornerstone of your lifting. Uh, even if everybody in the world thinks bench press is, you know, international sign of strength, it's just not, it's squats or deadlifts or whatever you want to, it's what you'd lift with your whole body. Um, and I said, you know what, I, I'm going to do that. And I started pushing every year. And, and so first year, uh, okay. I started, I squatted 225 the first day, six months later, I squatted four or five at a meet. Uh, the next year I squatted 500 pounds. The next year, I squatted 600 pounds. The year after that, I squatted 700 pounds. Three years after that, I squatted 800 pounds. And that's about the time raw lifting started to take place. Started to take place. And that changed my whole deal because about the time raw started to take was about the time gear started to change. I, when I mean, I'm talking about powerlifting suits and wraps and all that stuff. And so when I grew up, when you competed, you trained raw all year, and then six weeks or so ahead of time, you put on these first-generation indoor suits and wraps, and which are nothing like the stuff today. They're, you know, uh, they were helpful. Don't get me wrong, but they're not what they're not even close to what your 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 powerlifting supports are today. And about that time, I had gotten into strongman and had gotten a real thought process of, you know, what can I lift with the minimal amount of gear? Because if I'm living, you know, in a if if you I had a training partner in the very, very early days who was just a guy who worked out in the garage and that kind of thing. And, and when I first started getting into powerlifting meets and they were putting on bench shirts and, and belts and wraps and everything, and he said, you know, this is cool and all, but, like, if I got to go lift a car off of my kid in the backyard, I don't want to have to say I got to take 30 minutes to warm up and put on a belt and wraps and a suit. I want to be able to lift what I can lift. And that had a lasting effect on what I thought about, you know, as lifting or whatever. And so at that time, really heavy double and triple ply stuff was coming out and people were, and I was seeing the difference. I was seeing the fact that a guy was an 800 pound raw squatter and 11 or 1200 pound equipped squatter. And also at that time in the pure evolution of my life. Okay. So I was about to get married. I'm working at that time. And I'm working two jobs, 70, 80 hours a week. And I didn't have time to train at gyms and I didn't have time for meeting the powerlifting people. And I was training at midnight or two o'clock in the morning, some nights. And, I got introduced, you know, Brooks Kubis talked about, about, and I had got introduced to Paul Anderson already, and I knew who Anderson was, and a lot of similarities between Anderson and myself. Not that he, you know, he's a legend, I don't mean that way, but just training-wise and physical body type. And uh, I saw he started doing these bottom position squats, and I tried it, and it was super humbling the first day. And I thought, you know what, crap, there's something here. If this is that much harder than a regular walkout or a regular bottom top start, bottom down, come up squat, there's really something here to what this will do for you. And I started seeing all these benefits. Like I don't need a spotter. I cannot die. If it's three o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, it, listen, I, I realize you can bail. Okay. From a squat, but like bailing out of 800 pounds is a whole nother thing than bailing out of 225. Okay. And it, 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 there, there's some significant consequences. If you bail with 800 pounds, um, if you don't do it perfect, you, go the wrong direction a millimeter the wrong direction you're bailing forward instead of backward and now you're going to have dental surgery not you know it's a it's a thing that's why everybody trains with spotters or now spotter racks and that kind of thing and you know what i thought i can train this way this is so much harder i like this better this is the style i'm going to adopt if i can squat this way this way i can squat it any other way i want and because especially because i didn't need anybody else and so i started to retrain that way and now about that time i started to add a bunch of partial lifts 
into my training and really started working on that and also started working on, on what Anderson talked about and what I, I kind of got of gave it a name later, progressive distance training, or there really wasn't a name for it, I guess, or whatever, which is meaning you start with a short partial and you start adding distance to what you lift instead of, uh, most people are going to start with a weight and they're going to try to add poundage every week. Well, what he did was start with his goal weight and only move it, say, four inches, and then he would add like an inch every week or something like that until he could move it the entire distance he wanted to squat it or deadlift it or bench press or whatever, and then, and then he would go to a full range lift and go from there. And so I started experimenting with different variations of that, and I finally, you know, uh, okay, <laughs> this is a crazy story, but the first time I dead stop, pin squatted 800 pounds, I was actually at work. And I had talked to the, I had worked an overnight job and I talked to these guys and let me keep weights there. And it was on an old pipe rack that was the perfect height. And it was like three in the morning and it was like 35 degrees outside, but it was a day to squat. So I just had to do, do what I did. I was, um, and like I ended up doing it. And so what I started doing is playing with how long I needed to rest between squat workouts and experimenting with that. And I started doing multiple experiments with different partials. So I almost always did a full range lift and a partial lift, and I would add distance to that partial lift, and sometimes I would max that partial lift out and go as far as I could, and I would max that out at different heights. So like one of the, the trainings I did for that is I would do a consistent, you know, a heavy single work up to a heavy single, and that's another thing I started doing is almost all single repetition work. Uh, I found that I recovered really best from that. I found that I, I was able to stay at a max lift very, very often for a long period of time. And here's why I believe in that, because people are going to tell you, well, single reps burn your CNS out. I don't think that's true. I think you can burn your CNS out with one rep sets or five rep sets or 20 rep sets if you work at absolute maximum of nerve and mental capacity all the time. But if you stay slightly dialed back from that, now, and not that it might not happen anyway one way or the other, but really what you end up doing is having a short rest and going from there. I, I walked away from traditional cycling when I started to use singles because the old powerlifting style was, you know, you started with 10 reps and you went to 8 reps and you went to 5 reps and you went to 3 reps and you went to 1 rep. And you spent 3 weeks at each one and you peaked and then you started over again. I didn't like the idea of only lifting 50% of what I was capable of. I liked the idea of being heavy all the time because, again, let's look at the analogy of I got to go save my kid. Well, I don't want to say, well, hold on, stay under there for six weeks. I got to get ready to max. Uh, I want to be able to max today. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't make it. Now that doesn't mean you're at, you know, at a hundred percent all the time, but I do think you can stay at 90% or a very high percentage of that all the time. So all these things start to come together. I'm doing singles. I'm, I'm averaging about one, one, one squat workout, heavy squat workout once every seven to 10 days. Um, I find that about 10 days is the perfect resting for me when I'm at that 800 or more level. Um, I, I'm doing max partial. So I start off doing like four inch jumps because the rack I have has four inch difference in the pins. So I have a bottom position and I go up to a four inch movement at the top. And then there's, an, I drop to another four inches the next week, drop another four inches the next week, drop another four inches the next week. And I'm down at the bottom. And then I start experimenting with different distances. So uh, I start doing that. And I start doing, um, so now I'm dropping, say, two inches every time instead of four inches. And then I'm going from there. And I hit 900, um, I moved to the 800, 900 range by experimenting with those things, maxing at every pin and going from there. And then I started shorter distances, and I move up to 900 over a period of time and going from there. And here's where I want to talk about the mindsets of those things. So, like, I think that kind of lifting over a period of time is about hardening your mind and about making yourself ready to do things. And so... 
I'm starting to, at that point, have some slight changes in my mental process. And actually, Jamie Lewis just interviewed me about that and asked me a question about, about that, about do you use the berserker-style psyching or do you use a more calm one? And I have moved over a period of time to a calmer thing, but at that time, I was really pushing super hard and really super psyched up kind of stuff. And there's what I want to say about that and when you're asking about the mental process, okay? So the day I hit 900 pounds, it took me four tries to hit 900 pounds. I failed, obviously, the first three. On the second one, no, the third one, I basically passed out under the bar. I didn't really pass out, but I literally collapsed from it. What happened was, and here's what you find with a lift like that, and here's why, another reason I went to that style of squat. Because that type of squat, you can get it out. Whereas a lot of times with a regular squat, you're going to be able to bail easier. Well, if you come up off the pins and you, and this is what happened to me on the third rep. So like first rep, I think I'm going good. And I had, and, and it was one of those things when you talk about mental process. All right. The day I squatted 900 pounds and the day I squatted a thousand pounds, I had made this mental decision that I'm going to the gym. I'm going to make this lift or you're going to have to call the hospital. That, uh, that's, uh, I'm not leaving until this is done or, or you got to carry me out. Now that sounds psychopathic. It's nowhere near as psychopathic as you think it is, but it is for the average person going to the gym who just wants to lose weight. They're, that's going to come across as crazy. But you got to understand that uh, this is a life passion and pursuit, and this is 16 years of working up to a, a goal, and a goal that's a sweat blood type of a goal to get to. So I wasn't joking around when I got there. And when you get to that level of weight, that's the mindset that goes with it. I'm doing this one way or the other. There isn't. There isn't a. It isn't like you're lifting 135, and if you drop it, there's no consequences. It's not like that. This is uh, I put my heart and soul and blood and sweat and sacrificed everything in the world to get here. I'm going to do this one way or the other. So the first rep with 900 goes up about two inches. I just am out of groove. Second one goes up about six inches. Still out of groove, but still there. Third one goes up a little over halfway and hangs in midair. And I'm at that transitional point where I'm coming up, coming up, coming up. And I'm at the sticking point, and I stick and hold there for like eight seconds. And I'm trying to gut through it to come on up. And eventually, I just teeter forward just a half a millimeter and collapse back to the rack. And when I hit the rack, I literally drop out from under the weight and hit the floor. Uh, because I hung in midair with 900 pounds on my back for like eight seconds and thought I was going to die. That's, uh, that's how it is. But you know what? I, but here's the thing. I recover from it. I stand back up. I'm good to go. I'm not hurt. It's just a, a high-level physical effort. And I see at that point that one millimeter more movement would have made the lift. So now I'm ready to do. And the fourth lift, I, again, go up, hit that sticky point, gut through it, and it comes out, and I make the lift. And a little bit similar with the 1,000-pound the lift. And, again, the, you know, then you're talking about to make that progress for the next 100 pounds at that level, you're talking about years. So it's a year or two later that I hit 1,000 pounds. And uh, same mindset when I go to the gym that night. I'm doing this or die trying. And now that particular cycle, I had experimented with something different. It's a little more along the lines of what Anderson did. And what Anderson started to do and what I think he found later, he didn't really – he never really actually – he just says one time in one book he talks about it a little bit. Never really definitively says. He just gives you a bunch of different cycles he used. This was the most effective one for me, and this is kind of going to sound a little bit weird, but here's what I did. So I'd already squatted 900 pounds. I think I'd actually done like 920 by that time. And what I did was I took 1,000 pounds, and I started with a short quarter squat. Now, 
I'm actually going to come out with a video on this crap because it annoys me so badly. So you're going to hear me rant about this. So I'm going to give you the little mini rant of what I got planned. This whole thing. Cause there's a whole hashtag thing on Instagram, of, you know, the quarter squat gang and there's people making fun of shorter lifts and stuff or whatever. It's really because they have no idea what a purposeful partial is for. And they think anything less than a butt to ground Olympic squat is a quarter squat. They're stupid. A quarter squat is a specific technical term for a specific thing, meaning the top four to six inches or even really one to six inches, depending on how you quantify the lift of your range of motion. That is a quarter squat. You are not quarter squatting. If you powerlifting squat and barely in parallel, you're just using a different variation of squat, and they're just being a bunch of knuckleheads and who would have no difference in the range of motion. And realistically, I believe there's five or six important ranges of motion and most people only do one or two and they skip out on an entire spectrum of strength that they're missing so what i started with was a short core squat three four inches with a thousand pounds now at that time my max is over 900 so a thousand pounds is not very heavy and what i did is i went in and did that took me about 10 minutes to from start to finish warm up you know post just general body warm up but actual squat workout lifting loading actually doing the thing so I start with like 250 on the bar, and then I go to like 500, 750, and then 1,000. It takes me about 10 minutes to do that. I hit 1,000 pounds for one solid rest quarter squat every day until that 1,000 pounds started to feel pretty easy. And then I kept doing that every three to – I kept doing it three or four days a week. And what I would do is I would add a half an inch to how far I moved the bar. And I did that all the way down from a from a one quarter squat, over adding about eight to ten inches range of motion until I got down to what I would consider a three quarter squat. And then from there, what I had done is is uh, okay when I could do that when I could when I could squat nine hundred to a thousand pounds, I could do a quarter squat, okay, with about a two inch range of motion. And I actually did this is one of the lifts I'm proudest of, even though people have no idea what I'm talking about. With a two-inch to three-inch range of motion, I did 1,800 pounds. And with a one-inch range of motion, I did 2,000 pounds. I'm proud of that because that ties Paul Anderson. The 1,000-pound bottom squat and the 2,000-pound core squat, to my knowledge, I'm the only human to ever tie him in those two lifts, which is, for a lifter, that's a monumental. You know, you have to kind of be inside our little world to understand how how much that would mean to me as a person. Or Most people would be like, I don't care what that is. It doesn't make a difference. It's not the way you do it in competition. But... For me, that's that's walking in the footsteps of a leg. So, okay, so what you have to look at is this: when I'm doing those core squats with a thousand pounds, and I'm adding a half inch at a time, I'm actually at a very low percentage of my maximum for those short lifts. But it's growing a little bit. But my body is constantly being conditioned to lift that one weight like 40 times over a five or six week period. Okay. And then I get to when I get down to about three quarter range, I'm at enough of my max that I need to take a break. I need the CNS break between, so I rest about ten days, rest seven to ten days. I drop down two more inches, hit it again, and at that time I'm ready. And so I rest another seven to ten days somewhere in that range, and that's when I go to actually hit, and that's when I hit that thousand pounds from the actual bottom position. And again, I that one I think works so well because. At that time, I've smoked out. I've looked at a thousand pounds like forty times in the last ten weeks, and I, now it's only been two. To, it's been between two and ten inches, but every time in those two to ten inches, I'm smoking it. I'm not just lifting it. I'm owning it. I'm bang. It's easy. I'm bang, bang, bang. 
fresh, even though it's heavy all the time. And then when I get down there, I've got enough rest under my belt. I'm super physically confident. I'm mentally confident. And then I go to the gym with, uh, you know, this is what, this is the goal. This is the thing I've wanted for 16 years. And so then I go there with that mindset and, you know, all my boys are there. There's a crazy, there's a video of, this, of it on YouTube that's been floating around forever. And you see me, and, and it sounds silly because I actually scream like kind of like a girl after. So I'm, I, I'm super psyched up. I'm crazy psyched up. And I make this lift, and I make it stand up, come back to the rack, and I pop out from under the thing, and there's like seven guys around me, and everybody jumping and grabbing each other. And I scream, and what happens, I use so much air up, instead of coming out with a deep voice, it comes out with a high voice when I scream. So it comes out kind of like a girl. And like I grab my next closest training partner, and I'm pounding on him. We're smacking each other around. You can see my son, who's like six, in the background. Everybody's yelling. He's got his hands up in the air. And I mean, it's just one of those... If you've never been in that super psyched up powerlifting atmosphere where everybody's working together and everybody's pulling for you as mentally hard as you are, you probably don't understand. You think we're all nuts and I'm the biggest, you know, crazy one of the whole bunch. But that's how that thing works. And that's why that team atmosphere is so helpful. And so, you know, you got the lifters and loaders and people are helping and that whole thing and everybody's cheering for you and the adrenaline in the whole room is electric and your adrenaline is sky high and you go from there and then you, you know, you make it and do the whole thing. And now the other thing people are going to ask, you got to remember about this is, okay, uh, that was 16 years of my career. So I started at 14 years old. I was about 30 when I squatted, uh, 31 or so when I squatted a thousand pounds. Now I was 230 at my first powerlifting meet. I was about 380, 385 when I squatted a thousand pounds, but I'm lifetime, hundred percent drug free. So I gained about 150 pounds of body weight over a 16 year period. Um, and, no drugs. So that's kind of how the list figures in that whole thing or whatever. Um, I don't care what other people do. I'm not, that's not a judgment on anybody. That's just telling you my personal deal and experience with that whole thing. Um, and that is where the whole thing put me. And now then I, if you see me today, I'm about 295. So I, I literally dropped over a hundred pounds from that time period because you can't stay that big and it doesn't matter if you're drug-free or it doesn't matter if your cardio is good. You can't stay at 400 pounds and be healthy. Um, so after that, I kind of started chasing some other goals and went to a, a super high cardiovascular um, strength program, which I really do. Uh, I actually advocate more today. Actually, that's something I wish I had done before then. I think it would have been better, would have made the lifts better, probably would have made it a little faster. Um, but, yeah, so hopefully that is way too much info on exactly what you asked me. <laughs> no, that was good. I think people really get into that. Uh, and you have a book available. Um, uh, I think it's called How to Squat 900 Pounds or uh, something along it those is, lines. It is, yeah. Actually, yeah, we're going to uh, – that's available right now. Sometime in the next year, what I'd actually like to do is um, update that to, to say how to squat 1,000 pounds because mm-hmm. I actually should have – I wrote that book after I squatted 900 pounds. Between then and when I squatted 1,000 pounds, I just didn't update it yet. Um, but I actually have a, b- a bunch of other stuff to add to that. Like for instance, okay, after I, in the middle of losing a hundred pounds after that, losing a hundred pounds body weight, I also had a bad knee injury that kept me from squatting for like a over a year, uh, that I got from running, not from squatting. And, but since that time I've been able to build back up to 800 pounds from the bottom at less than 300 pounds body weight. So, you know, and, and some other different types of higher rep challenges, uh, that kind of thing. For instance, I did. Um, okay, well, back when I was then, I didn't really talk about this that much, but I did 700 for 15. 
Um, Man. Which, which made, yeah, I actually wanted to hit 20, and I hit 15 and had to, had to set the bar down again, so I actually set it down and stepped out from under for about 40, 50 seconds and got the other five reps, but I thought I was going to die. <laughs> that was not, that was a... Uh, <laughs> That was one of those. I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that, yeah, I have a book. Uh, I actually have seven strength books, but one of them is actually how to squat 900 pounds without drugs, power suits, or knee wraps. Um, and that chronicles a lot of that in a lot more detail, kind of my whole story from there. Mm-hmm. And talks about the different partials and different styles of squat I picked up at that time. And, uh, and, and you're always putting out new stuff. You have some new stuff. Um, that you're working on now and getting ready to come out. Do you want to um, tell us a little bit about what's uh, what's in store? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so really what – if you don't know me particularly from squats or whatever, you probably know me for two different other things. You probably know me if you follow me now because you got to remember so many people, you know, the social media world is so different now. So i got the people who follow me who don't know anything about what was happening 10 years ago. So they have no idea whether I was and wasn't doing, or they, you know, people. I, people constantly ask me, "Did you compete in powerlifting?" Yeah, a million times forever <laughs> prior to you getting on Instagram. That's when I, you know, prior to that happening. So, um, anyway, so I actually have seven books, and and what you know me for probably today, most people know me for, is the crazy variety of strength stuff that I've progressed to today. So now I'm into all kind of, what I want to do is see, I literally want to catalog a thousand different strength meets in my lifetime. I want to see how broad the, the breadth of high level strength you can create. But the other thing people probably really know me for is about that time I wrote the first book and then into the second stuff, I started talking about how to mix different levels of strength and different types of tools together. So like my first other book besides the squat book was what one called twisted conditioning. And that's about how to mix Barbell, body weight, and strongman work together in a way that lets you do all of it and without getting a conflict, which is a big thing that people have a problem with. And most of my other books, so I wrote Twisted Conditioning 1 and 2, which is continuations of those thoughts, uh, how to mix, and really it's how to mix high-level strength and how to mix high-level endurance together. Then I have one on martial arts that does exactly the same thing and one on vitality that does, again, a different variation of the same thing. But that one starts talking about different energy work and different different things to build up your whole body, mentally, physically, spiritually, kind of stuff. And the stuff I'm going to come out with now is going to be two different things, one of which is going to be, well, all my strength work is controversial because it doesn't fit in anybody's paradigm. Um, it's not – It's a lot of it is taken from the old, old-time strongman, so stuff 100 years ago people don't know about, but it, it's the progression of the things I do today, and it's not. it's got some powerlifting stuff, but it's not pure powerlifting. And it's got strongman from competition today, but it's not pure strongman competition. And it's got stuff from Olympic lifting and Highland Games and real old time strongmen and steel bending and and stuff from strength stuff from around the world like clubs and kettlebells and sledgehammers and and different body weight variations and yoga and crazy stuff that people don't know about. So it's all you either think I'm a genius or I'm an or I'm an idiot. That's pretty much how that goes because it's a mix of things people don't think to put together and it's just a very different style of strength training than most people have been in. So. My next two books, they should be coming out relatively soon, are uh, I'm going to do one called Outlaw Strength. Uh, and that's actually based off an article I wrote a book about. And that's really about finding your own groove and forgotten techniques, forbidden techniques, things they tell you not to do that actually do work, like single rep training, like partial rep training, like, like uh, loaded isometrics, uh, like three-dimensional training, which is training outside of the normal. Uh, most of our training in strength is very uh, linear 
it's a straight up and down movement, even if it's a curl, which has a slight arc, but it's still a straight up and down movement mm -hmm. versus there's a whole other world to explore about that. And then there's combinations of physical feats like uh, accuracy along with strength work or coordination along with strength work. So that gets into like kettlebell juggling or balance work at the same time or even like I know if they listen to this, they're going to hear you talk about, you know, my neighbors complaining about me throwing axes and stuff. So. I have a tendency to throw axes or knives or sledgehammers and tendency to light stuff on fire and throw it at other stuff and see if I can hit while I'm standing on one leg and walking the dog or and, uh, somebody's throwing stuff at me and I'll throw it at the... I just think there's a million things to explore to really see how hard, how vital, how, how incredible you can make the human body. So that's going to be about that, about how I got some of my heaviest lifts, how I got to some of that. Um, it's going to be sort of a continuation of my last book was um, what I called Maximum Functional Mass, which is how to get truly functional but truly big but it's probably the broadest broadest concept of strength most inclusive one until now which is going to you know move the newer stuff and then the next one is going to get me branded a pariah and probably uh uh again well you'll either call me a genius or an idiot and you're probably going to get me excommunicated but i'm actually gonna write i'm actually writing a book about sex uh and about and some of it's going to be a physical training and, and let me tell you why okay i see so many people who are big and muscular and sort of healthy and then they talk about their relationships are falling apart or their life is vital in the gym and not vital in the bedroom or the average person so lacks in vitality that uh, we can't um we can't really uh just knock on the door there but okay they'll uh that they they're missing everything that they could have in that area and so what i want to talk about was both physical training to have to have your life, your health, your cardiovascular health, your heart health, your vascular health, your mobility to have that, and also mindset on, you know, getting closer to the real uh, vital human being, the real primitive human being you really could be, and having the, hopefully the best, most amazing sex you've ever had. And so those are the next couple of things, uh, book-wise or, or um, book and video type-wise along uh, with training-wise that we're going to be doing. Mm. Sounds great. Uh, very cool stuff. Do you have a, um, a tentative release date for any of that stuff? Hopefully in the next two months, if not before. Okay. Uh, hopefully the book in the next month, and then hopefully the, the other book the month after that. Um, I'm a little busy with some of the work we have. We have a charitable foundation called Noah's Army, uh, uh, Noah's Army Foundation .org, and or no, official Noah's Army .org. And uh, that is to raise money for scholarships uh, for police officers and firefighters for, for first responders. And for uh, actually, that know what that's about. If you guys don't know me, my son was killed about eight months ago in a motorcycle accident. And we built a foundation to honor his memory and to do the things he wanted to do in his life. So the plans we have for that are our first responders to help them. And also, we have a music program for children in schools, and we have an outreach program for abused women. And uh, we're hopefully going to be able to funnel some money and some help into the human traffic industry, which we want to fight against. And, um, and you know what? And the other thing about that is anybody else we can help. I don't care who we are. We're committed to helping them. We're raising money to do that. So I'm a touch busy with something like that. We're putting on – actually – we put on a shooting event earlier this year to raise funds, raise money for a few scholarships, and we got another one coming up. The next one coming up we're going to do is an ultra marathon. With, why wouldn't we jump you know, straight into the deep end of the pool? Uh, but a couple of strong men guys who are awesome guys, uh, uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon, um, Brandon.
Brandon and Eddie from Texas. Eddie Yannick and Brandon. Um, oh, crap. Now I'm blanking on his name because I've been talking my head off for all day. Um, they're two strongman guys, and they wanted to do things to raise money to help honor Noah's memory and to help. They've already climbed a mountain and written his name in the book, and they're doing strength beats, and they're climbing, like, the highest peak in every state in the U.S. in the next three years. And Eddie actually ran – has already done this in his personal life. He actually ran all the way across Texas as a, a physical feat. And, and he also nearly won on body press body weight. Um, I mean, the guy's, you know, really tremendously athlete. Brandon is a freaking uh, amazing – strongman guy as well both smaller guys they wanted to do an ultra marathon so i'm like why don't you guys come to florida and we'll do it so evidently i'm on the hook now to be a nutcase and try to uh which uh, it's not like i wasn't before but they, um actually i'm going to that's one of the things i'm going to attempt is i i i probably will not run that day because i'll be have part of an organization happening and i won't be able to actually run but i'm actually going to do my own version of uh I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to squat 800 pounds and then run and then cover between 30 and 50 miles in one day on foot because I don't think anybody's ever done it on the same day. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, so that's sort of in my plan. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, don't yeah, I don't think anybody's, think anybody's done that. So. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, and so that's our that event will be in October and then we'll have we actually have four or five fundraisers that will be happening every year from now on to that but hopefully the tentative release dates for that actually i'll also have a webinar with garen vader that will happen in early august and then we're gonna have a that will be both a um a regular product as well as a fundraiser for noah um and we're going to talk about the combination uh, garen is a super cool guy and you guys probably don't know him but he has a his own thing called core force energy garen is a like carnegie hall level concert pianist and um magician he performs in vegas regularly and his deal is about adding different types of sound and breath and visualization to what you do to make you stronger and to to get different performances so he has a whole system of visualizing where your energy comes from how your breathing is and it changes like how it immediately changes like basically how fast you can punch or the angles you punch from or your strength in different lifts i actually was experimenting with it with a training group last night this might be helpful to you john and your group or whatever so i'm teaching some amateurs how to deadlift and i'm having them deadlift kettlebells and here's something he gave me that i passed on to them and it works really good so what i had him do is squat down to grab the bar lift the lift the kettlebell and grab the handle take a breath at the bottom and normal lifting, you would tell them, pull the weight up and then blow out the first lip. What I told them to do is make the same sound you would make if, if you were visualizing a rocket or a jet engine going right by you. So instead of lift and blow out like that, it's And when you visualize that, it immediately made their head go up. It made them shoot off the bottom instead of easing off the bottom so as soon as the bell came off the ground they explosively stood up to a straighter and it, that made their abdominal fire and made their hips shoot forward to finish the lift very cool so it's a it's a totally different thought process on breathing on um on where you do you know where you think about your um strength coming from or whatever so I, and it's and actually my son had some very interesting things on this like he used to talk about one of the things my son noah did was he was top 10 on the planet at bending steel. He's the youngest, lightest guy to ever bend the Goliath bar. 
which is four foot long, inch and a half thick, uh, or inch and a half wide, half inch thick. It's about eight, nine pounds of steel. And only, to my knowledge, only nine guys have ever bent it. Um, he was bending it at like 18 years old and like 180 pounds. Um, it's insane. Like it, it, uh, he bent it. In, the first time I bent one took me like 20 minutes. He bent it in like two. And then later he was bending it under 90 seconds. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, but he talked about getting your mind in line with like, uh, okay, this is a very quantum mechanics kind of a thing to look at. And this is kind of a weird thing for strength people to talk about, but it's more cooperation with a piece of steel and the molecules inside than it is conquering it. If that makes sense. Um, that's a very, very esoteric set of concepts, but it allowed him to do some amazing things like bend that, uh, he was bending, bolts that were right in line with the iron mine gold nail. Uh, this is the craziest one. This one, he has a, a, a thing about that. He used a very specific mental process. He held a wall sit with a 200 pound log on his legs for 30 minutes continuously without coming out of position. <laughs> wow. Which is like deathly painful. I mean, like that's like pain on a left. Like that's a, it'd be easier to stick needles in your eyeballs than do that. I mean, that's not, uh, it, you know, but the, well, like one of the things we're going to talk about is the mental processes of how and why you do what you do, how you connect your breath, how you connect all the other things in your body that are um, things that people don't really think about, but they make a huge difference in the long run, you know? Yeah. And uh, so those, that's the new stuff we got coming out. So that's um, uh, noahsarmy.org is where you find out uh, for the charity information. Yeah, you can find, uh, well, official, official noahsarmy.org. Okay. Um, and then, that, uh, uh, and then you can find me at an unconventional life.com and you can find links back and forth. You know, you can find. Okay, cool. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll definitely be, uh, sharing that link and, uh, letting people know both, both of those links and, um, you know, hopefully get some traffic your way. sounds like you got a lot of products, good products coming out. Um, yeah, if you, if you want to learn about the craziest, most ridiculous, scare your neighbor's crap that any strong man has ever invented. I've got a video for it. I, I literally, I, I went back and counted. I've got like 50 videos that, dude. I just, I, I just, and it's all downloadable. And, you know, I, because I, like, I'm just relentlessly about exploring what's possible and trying to be as creative as possible in strength without being a knucklehead and standing on a, you know, a ball that's going to pop or whatever, that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I want to stay just shy of stupid, just above normal. So that would be... <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, so let's change gears a little bit. Um, you said you had done uh, Taekwondo when you were younger, and then you went into some mixed martial arts. Yep. And um, right. anybody following your Instagram, they see that uh, you still add some of that stuff into your workouts. I've seen you hit like the Makiwara boards, and uh, I think you punched a, right. you punched a soda can in half, and uh, yeah. a bunch of yeah. other crazy stuff. So. Tell us kind of where your um, where your head's at, what like with martial arts now, and how that relates to to your life now. Okay, well, I actually have a I shouldn't say this out loud, but I'm I'm going to mention it because if, you know if if I happen to you know get struck by lightning between now and then, you can't hold me accountable. But I actually have a career, I have one martial arts goal left and left to do. Um, and I had the whole progression, and uh, it's kind of where I come from. So I started in Taekwondo, which Taekwondo is phenomenally athletic. The guy who was my instructor at that time when I was a kid, 
taught in the Korean Army. He taught a little more, you know, kind of streetish version. But Taekwondo, as much as I love the athleticism of it and the jumping, I don't kick that way anymore. I don't punch that way anymore. I've moved to a much more um, open-ended version of way to do things. And here's what I mean. So I went from there to the next thing I really picked up as an adult was shoot fighting and then progressed from there to jiu-jitsu. Okay, so shoot fighting, if you know what that is. Shoot fighting is what Ken Shamrock, the original early guy, several of the early guys in the MMA were doing, which is a combination of catch wrestling and American boxing or Western boxing and then also Thai boxing. So I kind of, what I wanted to do over a period of time is I learned to do those things and I learned to um, to fight what would actually work in the real world, okay? Now, um, and since that time, I do have one little thing, and I, you know, because people, that's a big uh, dissection in the in the world of, uh, of martial arts is, well, MMA is wonderful, but it only works on the map. It's not going to work on the street. I think everybody has, and then the other people are going to say, well, yeah, actually, you should try that. And then you pick a fight with an MMA guy and get dumped on the concrete on your head and pound it into the ground. You probably will change your mind. My one caveat with that is they're, they're right and they're wrong. They're, everybody's right and wrong in those things. I think most of those things, like I talked about, you know, in lifting, we're all playing out of the same crayon box. Most martial arts, the real deal, early versions of them, are pretty close to what modern MMA is, with the exception of the rules. So the one caveat I will say about that is when you're talking about multiple attackers and weapons in the real world, that's a different thing. I do think that's a bad idea to go to uh, – everybody needs to learn how to grapple. Everybody needs to learn how to throw an effective punch. Everybody needs to learn how to throw an effective kick. I think the most effective stuff comes from a combination of boxing, tie boxing, maybe a little Wing Chun, some Emma, um, and then definitely learning some. If you're going to talk about the real world, you got to talk about weapons, man, and knives and bottles and crap like that and that kind of thing. Um, I think we are best to get as strong as possible, as fast as possible. And I think the disconnect in strength and martial arts is this: we don't practice things in a mixed pattern. I think the reason that old-time martial arts used to talk about people being muscle-bound from the gym is people went and worked out of the gym and they trained like bodybuilders and they went separately and trained like martial artists. They didn't use athletic strength stuff, and they didn't use a way to make your nerves fire together. So, like a lot of times, when you talked about seeing me do that kind of stuff, you'll you'll often see me do, say, a strength move and then a punching move, or a kettlebell move and then a punching move, or that kind of thing. And here's the point behind that: when you do a swing or a snatch with a kettlebell or a squat or a deadlift, it's the same hip motion in some way that you should be using when you snap into a punch or snap into a throw. I think your most effective way to get your most out of that is to mix those things. So if you're going to press, press and then do some punches. That teaches your body to use the strength you just got from pressing and that nerve pattern to mix it directly with how you would punch. And the same thing with squats and the same thing with throws and that kind of thing. If you learn to do those things together, you get the true carryover that I think a lot of your old time. So I think your thousand years ago martial artists were getting that because if you look, okay, Shaolin Temple is a very good example of this. So they're practicing martial arts, but in their practice, directly in the middle of that is, yeah, I just did, you know, an hour of punches, and then I went and did an hour of push-ups and stone lifting and uh, and different stone locks, which is basically kettlebells and all this. That is integrated practice, right. not separated practice, which I think is a huge thing. Um, I, the one thing I will say today is, I, from my personal thing, I, I tend to start to explore um, 
So I, when I was training a lot of MMA, I'd punch like a boxer or a Thai boxer would punch. Now I tend to punch from a lot more odd angles, a lot from different angles. I, I do think that being strong from being strong, being able to defend yourself from lots of different positions is actually a much smarter thing than, than just being, um, I'm going to give you an example of this. I fought a tough man tournament one time. Okay. And I watched a guy who had 400 amateur boxing matches, uh, get everything he could handle from a guy who was just a weekend brawler. And, and, and now if you, okay, if you had to go 10, 10, three minute rounds, that's one thing, but, Tough man is three one-minute rounds, so so fatigue is only a minor issue. But here's what I mean by that. Nutcase brawlers who throw punches from angles you can't even think about. And if you're used to fighting a boxer, you're used to watching straight jabs and hooks and, and crosses come from particular angles. Uh, that's why guys like Roy Jones Jr. were so hard to deal with because they were un, super unorthodox. That kind of thing, if you watch boxing. Or that's why Conor McGregor is hard to deal with from an MMA standpoint because he's unorthodox. Um, some of the heavyweights or that kind of thing. I think the more legitimate different angles that you can hit with real power from, the better you are in that way. And the other thing I think people miss in, in martial arts, but they get now because of MMA, is the same thing I learned in MMA fighting. You better be in freaking shape. And I'm not talking about shape like your average gym goer talks about, like, I can walk six miles on a treadmill. I'm talking about you better be able to to burn for a while. Like, okay, I fought two legit MMA in the ring fights. I lost the first one 15 minutes in, or I'm, oh, I'm sorry, like I'm almost 11 or 12 minutes in. Now, this is prior to the rounds. This is the early days when you were straight 15-minute fights because I literally was passing out. The guy could not knock me down, but I was falling down from passing out, from, from conditioning. Now, some of that was from nerves, and, you know, it's a freaky thing when you get in the ring with somebody for the first time. You're like, holy crap. The second one, however, I solved that problem. I got in shape, and I learned to relax, and I went 15 solid minutes with no let-up. You, you need to be in shape. If you're going to learn to fight and fight and those kind of things, you need to be able to do double the conditioning in the gym that you're going to do in the ring. Um, I think those things, you know, make a huge difference. And I think um, – but I do think – you know, we tend to, uh, those world, the MMA world, the martial arts world does unfortunately the same thing that the strongman world does. We segregate ourselves from each other when the truth is the rest of the world views us all as nutcases anyway, and we're all much closer than we think. And so I see no reason not to learn from powerlifter, strongman, old school strongman. I see no reason not to learn from soft style Qigong martial artists and hard style MMA guys and everything in between. Um, and add and fix and move what's and you never know which thing might be the thing that takes you to a whole other level. Yeah, I think too. Um, and, and you get this with powerlifters and stuff, and, and and martial artists. People are afraid to. Um, they want to watch a YouTube video or they want to uh, watch an Instagram video and say, "Well, that doesn't work." When I think the real right. answer is, go to that person or go to that person's class and actually listen to their explanation of it. You can only get so much from a video. You can only get so much from uh, even a, a passerby conversation. Um, right. I think um, a real good example of that is uh, Sistema. I think you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's very easy to watch a Sistema video and say, no. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I had the, um, uh, the pleasure of meeting uh, Sonny Pazikas on several occasions. Oh, yeah. yep. And I have friends who trained with Sonny. I, I have 
actually met Sonny, but I have mutual friends. Yeah. And uh, I went to his, I've been to three of his seminars. And um, when you go to the seminar, and, and I'm not saying everything in there is useful, but you will find out that there is a lot of useful stuff in Sistema that, that is just as good as anything you'd learn at a, in a jiu-jitsu class or an MMA class or a boxing right. class. But right. people won't take the risk to go learn it because they watch these videos and they're doing these weird breathing drills and they're, you know, doing these weird scenarios where they're fighting from a park bench and whatever. But, right. but right. those, but those things happen. You, you can get in a fight on a park. Well, bench there's and... the thing is actually they're like, so what they're, yeah, I totally agree. They're seeing a very limited amount of stuff when reality is, you know what? Fighting from a park bench, fighting from, from inside a car, fighting from a, a you know, a, listen, Carjacking happens, dude. Muggings happen on park benches. That's a, that's actually super smart. That's yeah. actually super practical versus, you know, and like people bag on that whole thing. People bag on Taekwondo, but you know what? The Korean army beat the crap out of a lot of people. That's true. Uh, for, <laughs> a, you know, and that's what they studied. Now they studied their own version. They studied the militarized version of that whole thing. Uh, again, now again, and, uh, okay. And martial arts instructors are, are guilty of this. So are MMA people and so are gym people. What you see going on at West Side is not what you see going on at Planet Fitness. Right. It's the watered-down version of those things. Strip mall dojos, unfortunately, gave all the old karates and taekwondos bad names because they taught soccer moms and gave belt promotions every 30 days to make money for, to sell it to six-year-olds versus actually teaching you how to teach you how to beat the crap out of people. But you jump on one of them Shotokan fellas and see what happens. They ain't joking around. They will, They you know, they're... Um, you know, the, the, like that was the goal I actually talked about is the hundred man Kumite thing or whatever that those guys do. Uh, those, you know, the guys from like uh, uh, Kayushkin and that kind of thing. Those guys are bad to the bone. They beat the crap out of each other. It's full contact. It's not a, it, okay, yeah, they might have trouble with a top level MMA guy, a judo or jujitsu guy might give them issues, but stick them in a phone booth where you can't throw somebody and they might not. Right. It, you know, or stick, and they're going to say the same thing. Yeah, see, people see the really esoteric stuff about the Sistema videos, and they don't watch guys like Vlad, Vladimir, um, I think it's Vasiliev, the guy out of Toronto, mm -hmm. just smacked the holy crap out of dude with a backhand. Right. Like, hit a guy with a backhand that you're like, that hurts for me to watch. That's <laughs> not even a, you know, I mean, there, there's more to, everybody's got a point. It's just, does that point work for you? Is it the right? Like, I'll give you an example of what I think that that's something that people don't talk about. And Sistema does a good deal about doing this. Sistema does a, does a good deal about catching your natural reaction and fighting to your body type. Okay. Yeah. Like that's my thing with Taekwondo. Taekwondo works really good if you learn the militarized. You know, I'm actually trying to kill you, not I'm trying to promote you to black belt version. If you're a very fast, very agile very thin, long-limbed guy. But if you're a big 300-pound dude, you may or may not have the speed to pull off a triple spinning back kick. You know what I'm saying? It, it, you're much more likely to go well and fight well in a ground-and-pound situation versus, uh, you know, it, it, a, a lot of it is in finding the thing that works for you. Right. Um, which a good instructor is going to do, the same as a good boxing coach isn't going to tell you you have to fight my style. A good boxing coach is going to find you and say, "Okay, this is your this is what naturally works for you." 
we'll make everything else as strong as possible, but you naturally have a powerful right hook, so we're going to set that up. Versus, you know, uh, I'm going to try to make you, you know, that's trying like Tana try to take a, a, you know, five foot five, two hundred and fifty pound heavyweight and make him fight like again Roy Jones Jr. or somebody like that. It's not going to work. You need to fight with your own style. You learn your own style, and you need to learn some of everybody else's stuff because. Like, listen, you can box all day long, and one little scary, crazy Sistema guy with a two-inch long knife would cut your liver out, and you'd be, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a bigger world than people talk about, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Or one crazy assassin guy from the Philippines with an ice pick, you know, I mean, there's, that's things to really think about if we're going to talk about the real world, and, and learning a lot, there's a lot more to learn, and people, there's such a broader breadth of things to learn and enjoy. Dude, why, you know, everybody doesn't have to be at odds with each other. I'm, I'm not at odds with anybody in the strength world unless you're just a jerk. Yeah. But, you know, let's let's learn from everybody. Let's learn from the martial arts. Let's learn from whatever works for you, you know? Yeah, I think it, it's weird that, um, to me, uh, it's like there's no risk associated with learning something. I mean, I, I guess you, you might look at it like maybe you wasted some time, but, but the reality is... I mean, I've never learned anything and thought, well, that was a complete waste of time. There was always something. You, you always get five minutes worth of useful information or, or that one little thing out of it. So I don't think you'll ever go learn anything and be like, this is a waste of time. And But the, right. benef- but the benefit is that you learn something that can be added to you and what you bring to the table that could be useful. Absolutely. And, what, and here's the thing. What if? What did you lose? If you lost 10, 20- 20 minutes learning from somebody and it wasn't very useful or what, but what if you learn something that's earth shattering and, and groundbreaking, right? Uh, in the first 10 minutes of the first MMA class I took completely changed my philosophy on endurance, right? Earth, earth crushingly different. You know, the first time I lifted a stone, totally revamped my philosophy. The first time I threw in the Highland games, revamped my philosophy. The first time I tried to bend steel, at, you know, there's a lot to learn, and you and what have you lost? You lost 20 minutes, but you learned something, even if it wasn't super useful. But maybe you learned something amazing. Yeah. And there's more than you think. Like I'll give you an example, man. I know guys who can lift a gazillion pounds, stick them on a balance beam. They look like a four year old <laughs> trying to, you know, actually they're less coordinated looking than the average four year old on a balance beam. And people bag on balance work and all that stuff, but yeah, okay. Until I knock you over, and you, you, you see how bad your balance are. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot to learn, man. There's a lot to explore. There's a lot of, and there's a lot to have fun with, dude. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm a big fan of um, uh, balance work or um, unstable work, but I tend to lean more towards um, the kind of stuff that I see you doing. Um, you know, whether it's unilateral or dragging stuff and walking on a, like a balance board or something like that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of standing on, uh, BOSU balls and things like that. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, I think anything carried to, um, okay. Some of it depends on how you do and your personal goals and why, you know, like, okay, for instance, I think that actually might be quite valuable for somebody who's trying to be a world champion surfer. Right. Because your balance in that thing might be, where it's not going to be terribly valuable if you're trying to be a world champion in powerlifting. Right. Um, however, I think in, 
for me, I think the, the, the widest, again, the widest breadth of things you can possibly be good at. And I think you just find so many weaknesses with, with stuff like that. I do think anything carried to the craziest degree, and I'm definitely the guy who will do that. But at the same time, you know, sometimes it's uh, like I, I joke with people about that. I'm like, if I'm ever the guy who says this is a bad idea, this is not a regular bad idea. This is a, like, this is an extra, extra, like, holy crap, this is a terrible idea. I don't even, you know. Uh, but but here's what I mean by that. You know, sometimes some of that stuff, like, especially for people who are not ready for it. So, like, the big thing I see with people who use unstable surface work, like, especially talking, you're talking about boats and that kind of thing. You know, like, the guys who invented that are actually fairly legit people. But if you've got a housewife who can barely squat 50 pounds standing on that, you're you're keying on the wrong element. You know what I'm saying? It, oh, yeah. Now, I, I can get away with a lot of stuff like that because I have a huge background of strength to draw from, and I'm not very likely to get hurt. Whereas you take the average knucklehead who's trying to squat, you know, 135 or 225 on a BOSU ball, Dude, even I think that's a bad idea. Even I, you know, and, and, and you're talking about the guy who will juggle axes blindfolded and throw them at his neighbors. I mean, that's a, you know, if I'm the guy who says picking up a live steak is a bad idea, it's really a bad idea. You should pay attention. There's no, you know, uh, I, I, but I agree. I think that it has to be a balance of where you're coming from and why you're doing what you're doing. So there, like people say this about me all the time. Oh, you're doing totally random stuff. No, I'm not. No, I'm not at all. If you track what I'm doing, what you're seeing is small snippets in social media, and you're only seeing them in a longer cycle, so you're not seeing them often enough for most people to really be paying attention that everything is a building block to the next thing, and everything is a thought-out process of why. And it's, if I can do this one thing, what's the next logical step? And, okay, the first time I walked a balance beam, I didn't try to carry a 200-pound stone while I walked it. I walked it forward and backward, and I got good at that. Then I walked it with a lighter dumbbell. I mean, then I carried it with a stone. Then I went sideways. Then I went backward. Then I went, you know, and then I did it offloaded on one hand. Then I did it with a little weight overhead. Then I did it while I was dragging a sled. Then I did it while I was juggling something. See what I mean? Everything yeah. is progression, 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 progression. And why? And, okay, there's little elements of danger in all the stuff that I do. And a lot of the stuff I do looks a lot more dangerous than it is because you got to understand that I, it ain't my first rodeo. And I fought it through. Before I do it, I have a legit reason about why or why I want to try it and what its goals are versus I just saw somebody doing something that looked cool standing on a wobbly thing and I fell and broke, you know, every bone in my body and ended up, you know, yeah, in, I got in you. a cast. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, too, uh, a, a lot of the people that are, uh, you know, commenting on your videos with, with negatively, I, I've seen a lot of them and I think they – they assume that that one minute Instagram video was your only workout. <laughs> like yeah. that's all you did, you know, like I would assume that there was stuff prior to, or, or after that. There was other things that happened before you <laughs> saw me, you know, throw my neighbor's chihuahua in the air and throw an ax at. Yeah. Uh, there's other things that happened. Before, right. But, before that happened or after or that happened or leading up to that happened or there was months of preparation leading up mm -hmm. to what you saw or there was you know or you don't see that in and really i don't see why they don't see it because you but what you get is people you know the the big problem that we have the social media generation is dude if you if you read the caption to anything i post it's always explained yeah 
They won't even bother to read three sentences to understand why. They just see a picture and or see a video, and they're like, oh, my God, that's the craziest thing ever. You mean all you did today was, you know, juggle logs on fire? Yep, that's all I did. That's it. That's all I did. You know, I didn't do it. Dude, read the freaking caption. And if you look at – and actually, if you look at my stuff, you're, what you're going to see over about any 10-day period is you're going to see some kind of squattish type movement, some kind of pull, some kind of press. You're going to see some kind of a balance move. You're going to see some kind of uh, um, speed movement. You're going to see some kind of endurance movement. You're going to see something. You're going to see all of those things mm-hmm. over that period of time if you're really paying attention. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you got to understand. Okay, so part of what I'm doing is I am a performing strongman, and I'm taking advantage of that fact that I realize that I'm giving you the legitimate training reasons as to why I do the crazy things I do, but some that I do just because I think it's fun and because it'll be funny. It'll be hilarious. It'll make a good video. It makes a great video for me to throw soda cans in the air and throw hammers at them. <laughs> but there's legitimate reasons why, right. but it's hilariously funny when that can explodes and or it's, it looks cool. I mean, yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with either, either one of those objectives. It just is what it is. <laughs> there, there was definitely a point in time in my life where I wanted to see those things and they weren't available. And, and now that they are, there's right. people complaining about it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because and there's, and that's the catch 22 of all social media. So if you just lift, Oh, that was boring. So I do the craziest thing. Oh, you're stupid. And I, yeah. and well, pick a, <laughs> pick a spots. Gipper. I don't know what to tell you. You, you know, you're going to be, <laughs> Uh, you know, and here's the thing. I, I'm doing this as much or more than any of that. I'm doing it for me. I'm right. doing what entertains me, what personally challenges me, what draws me to it, what makes me think, hmm, that would be freaking hard to do. Let's see if I can do it. Yeah. Um, um, let's uh, change gears just a little bit again. So sometimes uh, on your Instagram or your Facebook, you'll post some very delicious-looking meals. So... Uh, <laughs> Why don't you, um, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about um, nutrition. And if do you have any kind of diet? Do you do any of the crazy intermittent fasting type stuff? What's what's your what's all that looking like? Okay, well, you know, because you're gonna have. So here's the thing: you got to remember, I was 400 pounds, so now I'm under 300. I have never been lean since I was six years old. I come from you know giant Celtic Viking, not lean, but we can crush <laughs> you into a fine powder people. That's who I come from. So lean is the coolest thing in the world on the internet right now, and that's the one thing I'm not and probably never will be because, number one, it's not genetically easy for me. Number two, I like food. I like real food. I like I, I like calories too much to restrict them. I'm a friend of calories. I believe in them. I, that's on my political platform. I like calories. I like beer. I like I, – I just do. I'm not going to – however, that being said, I do want to do the best I can to be healthy. Um, and actually here's the thing that this is going to sound crazy about me. So I'm 295 pounds and I actually do intermittent fasting pretty much all the time. All right. Uh, I generally, I generally eat one to two meals a day and let me give you the emphasis why. Okay. So I grew up in the three meals a day thing, normal people. I experimented with the five meals a day thing that bodybuilders did, didn't work for me and was almost impossible to maintain. I purposely went to that because I actually did read Ori Hoffmeckler's book on it and thought, he had some very valid points. And once I started to get away from needing to get bigger but wanting to get healthier, I got started thinking about, you know, most of your lifters are so concerned that they're, you know, my pre-training meal has to be perfect, my my intro workout supplementation has to be perfect, 
If I don't get 20 grams of casein and weigh 35 and a half seconds immediately after I finish my last set, I will have no gains and crap whatsoever. Well, you know what? A hundred years ago, dude, people were getting monster and strong and they were drinking beer after their workout and they were eating, you know, crazy or they just weren't eating like normal humans or they were. And Bob Hoffman talked about that. A lot of the old time guys in their writing, Bernard McFadden talked about, um, you know, people from wide varieties all over the planet got healthy and strong on what's naturally occurring in their environment. And I got to thinking about this. I think that the idea of multiple meals a day is really wrong because it never allows you to experience hunger, and we should experience hunger. We should be hungry before we eat. Um, the best weight loss I ever got in my life was generally going two meals a day, uh, and I generally go one to two meals a day basically every day depending on what I'm doing. And here's why. I don't want to get up and have to stop and be laid down. I want to do my day and then eat. Yeah. And I don't want to be worried about uh, if I didn't eat the perfect pre-training meal, my squats won't be better. or my That's baloney. Once you mentally get past that, it's not even there. Mm-hmm. Plus, I tend to be an all-or-nothing kind of a human, and like I don't want to eat small meals. I want to eat Viking Valhalla happy meal. <laughs> okay? Uh, meaning, when I sit down in the evening, I want to eat like a real human, like a grown 300-pound man. I don't want to eat like I'm had, I had half a lettuce leaf and one dry piece of chicken. That doesn't work for me. I would rather eat less often and be satisfied, and it's easier for me to manage calories that way. Also, when I started fighting, I started doing longer workouts, and like you couldn't eat five minutes before a workout and then go do 500 bodyweight squats and not puke. So you had to eat a while before the workout, and then your workout might be three, four hours, and you know, so you'd end up five, six hours between. And these guys are doing it all the time. <clears throat> And people were doing that a thousand years ago, and I don't, I don't want to eat in a way, with the exception of I want to take advantage of normal human life, you know, right now and the convenience of life that allows us to do what we do. I don't want to eat in a way that if civilization happened to end, I couldn't maintain. And guess what? If you were living in the wild, you would be eating things you could get your hands on, and probably not more than once or twice a day. Yeah. Even in even if in, even in agrarian civilizations a thousand years ago, they still weren't eating you know five times a day. That's baloney. And I I honestly think the rest between allows your body to, to regenerate and, and be healthy and do things. Um, I think that's the smartest, easiest nutrition plan. I think it's the most natural anthropologically to um, what humans are, are um, geared to do. Uh, and again, the simplicity, ease of efficiency, work, and, and that kind of thing. I generally no okay. So let me. So how am I still 295 pounds instead of 135 pounds like most of your intermittent fasting guys? Yeah, okay. So I may sit down and eat a whole chicken at dinner too, versus you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I'm still eating more calories. I'm just eating it in one or two meals. Now I still don't eat as much as people would think. You know, people are going to say because again the the ridiculousness of nutrition and you got to be lean from the internet is going to say well if you're not lean you must be eating 12,000 calories a day. No, I'm not. I eat a little more sane than you would think, but I also generally consistently eat bigger than your average 150-pound guy because right. I have a lot more to feed. Um, I probably average one to two pounds of meat a day, uh, whatever carbs I get in conjunction with that. Try to go as natural as possible and as much vegetables and fruit as possible. Um, and that's the basic. So if I do eat during the day, I generally eat either um, either a protein or a carb and and either just one sort of moderate meal. So like that might flesh out to like a bowl of oatmeal or it might be a, uh, a vegetable drink or vegetable fruit drink or it might just be some, uh, you know, some meat. 
uh, of some sort and that's it. And then at night I'll have much more full meal and do just normal food. Um, and again, trying to go as natural as possible and go from there. Cool. That sounds pretty, uh, pretty simple and, uh, easy to follow. Um, uh, if you're familiar with, um, Mark Bell, uh, yep. uh, super training, um, he, I don't know if you've followed him lately, but he's, uh, not doing powerlifting. He's cut way down. I think he's actually talking about doing a bodybuilding show, but he's, yeah. uh, he's a lot smaller and he's been experimenting with a, a bunch of different diet stuff. And he basically came to the same conclusion, um, and, and he's probably been in the game just about as long as you have, um, came to the same conclusion that this whole mess of you got to eat at this time before, this time after, you need this many yeah. grams of protein. I mean, he says that that's all and just, you know, it's not true. Somewhere along the lines, this information's been um, just spit out and repeated over and over and over again. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely, it's got it's it's either it's either convoluted science or it's not science at all. It's just gym side, you know, bro science or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, what they don't talk about is a lot of that came from that multiple meals a day thing. That was coming out of the A when you had endurance athletes coming into the frame, and you also had bodybuilders who were okay. What they're not talking about is them guys who were eating six and eight times a day and eating four hundred five hundred grams of carbs a day. They were shooting insulin into their eyeballs four times. <laughs> Day, dude. If they didn't eat carbs, they were dead. And you're talking about non-diabetics taking insulin purely for the anabolic response and having to eat carbs or pass out. That's different than me and you living like a normal human. And again, none of it makes sense. Like, okay, I am not personally willing to calorie restrict to the point to get super lean. But my physical performance in every area of life is as good or better than it has ever been in my entire life. And that's living like an athlete since I was 14 years old and I'm 44. Yeah. How am I losing? Where am I going wrong? I, uh, and it's the simplest, easiest way to eat I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, let's I, go that way. Let's go, you know? Yeah. I think it's obvious too. If, if anybody's actually paying attention to your, uh, your videos and stuff, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you're, uh, I mean, you're doing something impressive every day and then just when you think you know you can't see anything crazy or you you'll you know squat 700 out of the rack and then do something crazy it's all the proof is there i mean you're obviously making gains and and you know right and uh i do something very similar i I typically won't eat uh early in the day Uh, sometimes you know I'll mysteriously be hungry in the morning. Maybe I'll eat something. Yeah. Most of the most of the time, and I, I don't. I believe follow your hunger. I don't care about the clock says follow your hunger. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and then I eat later in the day. It's not uncommon for me to wait until uh, three or four o'clock before I eat the first thing, and then right. and then I usually I'll eat a lot. <laughs> you know, right, but yeah. but it's not an obscene amount considering I weigh three hundred and forty. Um, I'm probably getting. 4,000 calories maybe a day. And, right. uh, and you would think it'd be a lot right. more than that, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's not as obscene as people think. Now, when I was 400 pounds, there was, there was, the, there was some food affinities that happened. There was, <laughs> there were some times, you know, there's a couple of times me and another dude or two got kicked out of an all you can eat place or got kicked out of a Sunny's or all you can eat barbecue. We actually literally got kicked out of one <laughs> twice actually. But, <laughs> 
right, well. But not anymore. I don't. I don't really believe in that super. I really don't even believe in that anymore. I think that was a mistake at that time period. Of that super stuff yourself, eat as much as you possibly can. I, I just don't even really believe in that anymore. I believe eat till you're fully satisfied, and if you're a big man, eat what you want. But I just don't believe in that anymore. I think it's bad for you. I yeah. really do think that's a huge mistake. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I think you know, like you said, follow your body and common sense will take you a good way, but with the internet and stuff, it's pretty easy to get uh, screwy information and, and that'll oh, absolutely. just jam up your common sense, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, so, um, I asked some of my trainees, because uh, I told them you were going to be on the podcast today, um, to, to ask you some questions. I, I covered most of them. Um, one of my requests was to invite you to my event on December 1st called Rite of Passage. <laughs> so I'm going to throw this open invitation okay. out to come up, check it out as a special guest if you want to. Um, I know it's quite the haul up here to Morgantown. That's probably about 16 hours for you, I would I would say. Uh, <laughs> but the invitation stands if, if you want to come check it out. Um, we have some crazy events there. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the Facebook page or whatever, but um, there will be... Uh, there's a duck walk event head to head into that will end in a sumo wrestling match. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <clears throat> so that's just one of the events we got. Well, there will be five events. There's an old time grip medley, some other things, but uh, we would love to to have you come up and uh, check that out. So if you're interested, um, you know, message me after the podcast here, and when uh, we'll talk about it. And see if we can get you up definitely, here to man. West I mean, Virginia. I'm definitely interested. If I can schedule it, I'll definitely try to come. That's that sounds awesome. Very cool. We'd love to. We'd love to have you, and um, you know, maybe we can get a seminar out of you or something, or we can work something out. That's great. <clears throat> um, That's yeah. great, man. We can, we can set that up. Be cool. Cool. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on here, man. You're a you're a legend, uh, and um, definitely oh, uh, one of the people I follow probably the person I follow the closest on uh, social media and uh, you, you've inspired me a lot. And a lot of the stuff I do is based on stuff that you've done. So um, I want to thank you for that. You're a big inspiration and uh, thank you for having, for being on the podcast here. Um, I think there's well, a lot dude, of good thanks information. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And, and I've seen you do some awesome stuff, John. So I'm, 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 if I had a hand in inspiring any of that, I'd be, I'm very glad. I appreciate that. Well, certainly. Thanks. <clears throat> Definitely inspired a lot of the crazy stuff I do. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but I'd love to have you back on at another time. But uh, today I'm going to have to we're going to wrap it up here. And yeah. um, again, that's uh, unconventional uh, life, right? Unconventional. Yeah. Unconventionallife.com and Noah's Armored Foundation dot um, Check out those websites, and you can also hit up. Um, Bud Jeffries on Instagram or Facebook. And uh, right. yeah, if you're not following him, get on there now and add him. <laughs> and, uh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks a lot for being here. And this has been another episode of Get Strong or Die.